0: Everyone, welcome back to the Quantum Heart Cafe. I hope everyone has had a, a blessed week and a weekend. And uh, for those of you who are new to the show, welcome to the Quantum Heart Cafe. It's a place where I share my love of books, reading, of course, coffee, and uh, relate what I'm reading to current events. And most of the books I read are on like things like meta- subjects like metaphysics, spirituality. Um, as well as what's going on with, uh, you know, the rollout of this new sort of advanced technology like the Web three, the spatial web, uh, token economics, and so on. And if you're unfamiliar with those terms, that's okay. I'm going to be spending a lot of, um, you know, those are probably going to be the focus of my podcast for a little while, is talking about these new technologies that are coming out because they. You know, sort of represent a fundamental shift in human as well as just life on Earth, and in, in terms of, uh, you know, this like this really big shift towards like a token economic human capital uh, nature as well as natural capital management. And if and again, if you're unfamiliar with those terms, that's okay. I'm gonna. Um, be talking about them throughout my show and throughout uh, the whole podcast and stuff, because I think this is the really important conversations to have, and one of the reasons why I wanted to call it the Quantum Heart Cafe is because, uh, you know, I think, you know, I think we could get change, and I think humanity is in the, at a crossroads where we're going to have to make some really important decisions coming up, and, you know, part of this part of what I love about coffee shops is that, you know, I go there, I read, I enjoy, of course, enjoy some coffee and conversation and and talking to um, people or writing about what's going on. So, you know, I thought that maybe I'd try and um, put that in that kind of spirit into my, my podcast. And of course, you know, for the last few years, I, you know, with the everything that happened globally, it wasn't always easy going to a coffee shop. And I, you know, I was one of the people that weren't allowed in a cafe, if you catch my drift. So that's where I decided to kind of take it on the road, so to speak, and turn it into a a podcast. And so most of the time, I like to talk about books, but relate the books to current events. And for today's show, I'm going to be continuing a series I've been Reading or a series I've been doing on a book I've been reading called Emergence by Stephen Johnson, and I'm gonna be um, continuing where I left off last show. And apologies for not uh, recording a show last week. I I think in the previous one I said that you know I'd be pretty busy with work and stuff like that, so I wasn't sure if I was able to you know record it just because there was a bunch of overtime and stuff. But it's over now, so hopefully be back to at least one show a week uh, and then uh, of course for if you're new to the cafe I also like to do uh, a moment of gratitude as well as talk about the beverage I'm having today um, and during the show so for the moment of gratitude um you know I've been reading a really I've been learning about just recently and actually it's something that uh, or it's A part of history I've often heard on Alison McDowell's uh, presentations and in her writings it was about the the Maroons. They're the people that, and mostly like the Jamaica and uh, the crib, like that kind of area, like the Caribbeans and stuff, where uh, they were um, Africans who were stolen from Africa and brought to work the slave trade. And they were a resist and they resisted and they um, you know, they rebelled against the British Empire and the slave trade and they were able I mean, I think I was watching an interview with someone and he was saying that the guerrilla warfare went on for about eighty years. And I thought that was pretty inspiring. I was just like, Holy Mac, like they you know, such a, a small group took on I mean, at the time the British Empire, I mean it was the one of the most powerful empires at that time and you know i mean there's other european empires i think there was like the french and danish and or the dutch and a few others too felt like britain though was like at the at that time it was at the peak but there were other of course there were other nations and other like other european nations that were involved in the slave trade it wasn't just england um but they were the but the maroons like there were just you know they're a group of Africans and they got together and, um, you know, they struggled and fought against this huge force. And I thought that was really inspiring to read about that and to understand, like listen to this uh, gentleman who was giving, who was presenting on the Maroon people. And and it was just uh, amazing. And, um, he, he made the comment too, that the land had protected had protected them, that the land looked after them and provided them with food and the the sustenance that they needed in their struggle. And I feel like it's those connections to the land. And the land did the same thing for uh, the Apache in, I think what's currently Arizona, and kind of the southern states, as well as other indigenous nations in Turtle Island that have struggled against uh, colonialism and empire for a while now, it's the land that has been, that has been, has taken care of them and helped, helped them to live, to get through this. And I found that that's just inspiring. So I'm grateful to have heard, been learning more about those stories about uh, people who have struggled and rebelled against a force that's greater than them, or that feels greater than them. And it kind of just reminds me of like, because right now, it's like there's a transition phase between because empire really didn't go away. Like colonialism and imperialism never left. It just changed. Like it transformed like in the, I'd say the seventies, eighties and nineties, it was more corporate, like global corporatism. That was, it kind of took that form. And, um, and now it, it's trans, it's doing a phase, a transition change or maybe a phase changing phases like if you think about how water or how uh matter changes phases from a solid liquid and a gas so it's we're in this phase change where empire will change or if it gets its way will become more about um kind of like a blend of capitalism technocracy and socialism is like, it's all the isms put together. So it's not not just one ism. It's like all of them put together to create this cybernetic system that is coming online. And I think that's a really important conversation to have. And I know, you know, Alison McDowell and, and Jason Bosch and, uh, you know, a few other really amazing people have been writing and researching and talking about this. And I hope to add, I hope that my podcast... Uh, like the Quantum Heart Cafe, can add to that conversation through the books, and you know just the spiritual lessons that everyday life teaches me, and I hope to pass those on, and that they would be helpful for others as well. Because the conversations might not be seem relevant right now, but as this cybernetic system starts rolling out, it'll become even more important. Um, so this is kind of like I, I mean. I have to make sure to back up the show because sometimes you know it's easy for um, like I've seen it in real time like you leave a comment on YouTube or something and then it just disappears so sometimes you know content and things can get taken down um, not sometimes they can be taken down so you know I'll make sure to have a backup and stuff but what I'm hoping is that this kind of just be a repository or just like a, a a little cafe with a library kind of feel to it you know but the main thing is just to share I just want to share the books I'm reading and uh, kind of relate what I'm learning to what's happening around us and you know just remember remind people that you know the the being and the human being so uh, because I don't think that we have to go down this route and I think it would be really bad for all life on earth if we went down the cybernetic path but uh, you know, I think that we can find another way, um, but we're definitely at a phase transition right now. So our decisions matter, and these conversations matter, and I hope that this can help in the in the conversation piece and just helping to bring more awareness to what's going on because no one's really talking about token economics and so on. So I'm hoping you know, that that can help out, (laughs) that that this show can help out in some way. Uh, And then for what I'm drinking, so I did have my decaf coffee a little earlier in the day. Um, I'm almost done it. It was the coffee that I got from Palette Cafe. So I'm going to have to go back out next week and see if I can find another coffee shop. But, you know, I'm also thinking that maybe I should also expand, not just have coffee, but maybe, you know, teas and, I mean, I do have some water right now just because it's, you know, it's nice. Water is refreshing and beautiful drink. Um, But also, you know, maybe uh, because Allison McDowell talks about the dandelion revolution. She talked about that last summer. And so, you know, and dandelions are healing. You know, they're wonderful flowers and they offer they're not weeds, they're flowers and they offer so much. So maybe, you know, dandelion tea every once in a while or something like that. So, um Yeah, but today, just uh, having some water right now, and before, I enjoyed a really nice decaf coffee from the Palette Coffee Roasters. Um, Anyway, so I'm going to continue on where I left off from last week, because I was talking about the five principles of emergence, which uh, Stephen Johnson talks about in his book, and it's a book I've been talking about for the last, you know, few shows, definitely, And it's a really important book because I think what's coming is this emergence. It's like a, they want to, they, like the, you know, the techno, you know, technocrats or the cybernetic, the the systems engineers, they really want to create like this super organism. And I know this sounds so weird, like you're going to hear things on this show that kind of sound sci-fi. And I wish, wish it was just science fiction, but there's actually people that believe this. And the problem is, is that they are in power and they have their network together and, you know, they actually believe this stuff. So, you know, they believe in a super organism. They believe that human beings are becoming this global collective consciousness and... Their focus is to socially evolve human beings and life on Earth uh, to towards this world embryo. And I know that sounds crazy, but I did do a show on, on the book called The World Sensorium by Oliver L. Riser, and that's what precisely what he talks about is this world embryo. And then uh, Alison McDonald did a read out loud of the book, so maybe what I'll do is I'll uh, leave a com or leave a link to the Read Out Loud that Allison did for the World Sensorium because this is really important. It kind of goes with emergence, like emergence and this world superorganism go together. And same thing with cyber dyna- dynamics because it's like they're trying to build this complex adaptive system. And, you know, 50 years ago, they didn't really have the technology to do that, but now they do. And that's where you know things like token economics uh smart contracts and um like the oh and blockchain and 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 the technologies associated with web three and the spatial web that's where they come into place now because they can you know the system engineers and so on they can use these technologies to socially evolve life on earth Um, and that's ultimately i mean money is a small part of it and it's there for sure like there are you know hedge fund managers and people that want to make money off of this stuff but what's even more important to realize is that there's a deeper intention beyond just money and beyond just cryptocurrency like there's a, a a deeper intent to behavior a behavior modification or behavior engineering and social engineering to steer people towards that. And that's what that's what's really interesting is that I just learned the name or the uh, I think it's the Greek association with the word cybernetic is uh, I think it's this the re- sorry the root word of cybernetics is a steerman that makes sense is steering man or steer man like the the greek equivalent to that uh like the root the greek or the root greek word for cybernetics is steerman or steer man to steer people and that's what they want to do is to steer life on earth towards this um towards this goal of a super organism and they're going to attempt to use technologies like blockchain and token economics to do that and that's why I'm going to talk about on the show but you know of course spirituality and stuff like that but I just no, you know you can't really have a spiritual I just feel like I can't really have a spiritual practice and not talk about this stuff because it's going to affect everyone and everything so it's like yes I could just talk about you know the law of attraction or the law of assumption and stuff like that um but then i feel like i'm doing a disservice if i ignore these really important events that are unfolding because i don't think we have to go down this road like i said i think we can make an informed choice but the the thing is just to have is to make people aware first you know if we understand the problem then we can kind of figure out solutions okay uh, so, I'm picking again, like I said, I'm picking up where I left off last week with the book Emergence. And right now, um, I'm talking about human cells and emergence because um, throughout the book, Stephen does talk about like DNA. And he's talked about how, like, the same people that are interested in making software learn or teaching AI how to learn, they're also interested in DNA because they see DNA. And genes as the simple building blocks that can lead to complex behavior. And so, one of their goals is to use DNA and like to program DNA and to use DNA and genes to, um, well, to uh, evolve us, just like they want to evolve AI. Um, so, he talks about, so Stephen talks about um, how a defin- defining characteristic of complex systems is for the whole. Uh, to outlast or outlive the individual components. Okay, so he was also so when he said this, cause uh, la- I think the last time last week also I was talking about ant colonies, um, and how ants are ants are often used for in the study of so or complex adaptive systems because they're um, you know, thousands of individual ants interacting with each other and following. Rules to create the kind of the collective intelligence of the colony. Um, so that that's part of what I was talking about last week. And so he's kind of talking. So that convert or that I'm continuing that conversation as well by because uh, he was saying you know individual ants only live to be about a year, whereas a colony can live to be about fifteen years. So he's wondering him as well as well as Deborah Gordon who I mentioned last show she's a um she's a biologist and she's the one that studies ant colonies <clears throat> and so they're interested in how in the mystery of how ant colonies form and how they're able to live for you know about I think the average for the harvester ants which is the ants that uh Gordon Deborah Gordon is studying is about like Fifteen years. So they're wondering, like, how is it possible that um, individual? oops, sorry. How is it possible that individual ants can outlive? Uh, or sorry, not the, how individual ants only die, or only live for a year, but then the colony uh, lasts for about fifteen years, and then he writes that human. So Stephen then writes that uh, human beings aren't they different from social insects like ants? Um, and then this is where the genes come in. He's also talking about how our cells have emergence, um, because he says that our cells and our DNA, which is in the cells are like, it's an example of thousands of cells interacting to create this higher level, um, consciousness or higher level intelligence, which is, I guess, the human person. Um, So he thinks, so Stephen thinks our cells started cooperating billions of years ago, and that humans have a master planner and a set of blueprints, uh, which is our DNA. He calls this the tyranny of DNA, and that it's an example of centralized Command economy, not emergence, but the thing is is that they keep talking about throughout the book one of the common themes is that Stephen keeps saying that emergence doesn't have what are called pacemaker cells, so pacemaker cells it was when there was when scientists first began studying slime mold because slime mold is another uh, social uh, social being where. Uh, it displays emergence. So you can have individual slime mold cells and they, you know, they kind of do their thing. And then eventually one of the slime mold cells, they'll send a signal like a pheromone. And, uh, and if it's strong enough, they'll attract the other neighboring, um, slime mold cells, which will also pass that signal along, signal along to other neighboring slime mold cells. So they'll, this, you know, the first, the slime mold cell that initially sent the signal, they'll attract a bunch of other slime mold cells together and they'll form like a, a bigger organism. And usually this is if, you know, one of them in the presence of food, or if one of them finds something interesting, they'll, they'll come together and then they'll create an organism and once the food is gone or the environment changes then the uh, then the cells then the slime mold cells will disperse and go back to like being individual cells and they'll do this throughout like anytime like I said anytime there's food or a favorable change in the environment that's when they'll they'll cluster together and form that bigger organism so he thinks that Um, so early, early on scientists were wondering if there were like, uh, leaders or what they called the pacemaker cells, which are, which would be like a special slime mold cell that, um, you know, they're the ones that send the signal because there's something, maybe they have more intelligence or there's something inherent about them. And they're the ones that, you know, send out the initial signals and but they couldn't the thing is the scientists couldn't find a pacemaker cell or they couldn't find a leadership cell, so Stephen argues that the reason why we look for these pacemaker cells is because people naturally look for leaders in in anything um I disagree with that because he's you know he talks about emergence like a as a distributed um as, a, as an example of a des- decentralized system. And that's what they're trying to create, is like this decentralized system. But the problem is, is that, again, it's more so artificial emergence is what they're creating, because there is a natural emergence with nature and the cosmos, and they're trying to mimic that and create their own artificial emergence. But the problem is, is that in artificial emergence... There is indeed pacemaker cells or leadership cells, and it's the people that are creating this system to begin with because, like I said, in complex adaptive systems, you have rules. And so the interactions between the individuals in the system and the rules is what creates this higher-level intelligence. But who sets the rules in the artificial emergence and it's the people that are creating it in the first place and they can change the, these rules whenever they want and you know and i don't think that centri- like dna is a cent- an example of a centralized command economy it's dna it's part of our biology like they're thinking like a lot of these system engineers are like economists and stuff like that and so they're they keep thinking about like these this, the centralized control or like a monopolistic control, like they're putting that onto DNA. Um, so anyway, that in order to just summarize in artificial intelligence or sorry, well, artificial intelligence too, but artificial emergence, there will be leaders. Like there will be pacemaker cells. There will be a central control That is trying to be a decentralized control but it's still centralized control and they're the ones that will set the rules and the parameters for this artificial emergence it's not something that's naturally bottom up even though they like to say that it's not it's top down and it's being it'll be controlled and run by people who have certain interests and it's not just Money, like I said, it's again this push to socially evolve life on Earth. So, so I I might keep bringing that up over and over again because he keeps bringing it up over and over again, and I just disagree. And I think he's trying to like, I think it's kind of like one of those, um, you know, you know, don't look over there type moments. you like look over here, like a, a distraction, like from. Questioning whether or not there is going to be, because that's another thing is like another characteristic of the complex adaptive systems is ignorance. And if people don't understand what's going on, then that's a good thing for emergence. It's not good for us, but it's good for them. So they don't want to get people to catch on that there is indeed people behind the curtain or people behind this cybernetic, artificial emergence because there is, there's interest behind it. It's not, it's not natural as they try to claim in their storytelling. It's not, it's not the natural emergence that comes comes from source or God or universe or whatever you want to call that. Um, Okay. Uh, So he, Stephen also thinks that cells follow more than the dictates of our DNA, and they do interact with their neighbors, which is important uh, to learn how, and learning how we, or and this is an important ca- characteristic for how we learn and express ourselves. So, you know, he does say that, you know, DNA isn't, it's not just DNA that determines who we are, but ourselves interacting with our neighbors. And so I think in a way it's like the environment plays a role and how we learn and express ourselves and I, I do agree with that um, but I don't again like you know he's again he's coming at it from an artificial emergence lens and I'm not uh, he's so and then he also goes on to say that cells draw uh, selectively from the genome sequence inherent in the cell nucleus so for what that means is that muscle cells Uh, draw on the memory about muscle cells in the cell that's inherent in the cell nucleus and then blood cells do the same thing so they draw on the memory that's inherent in the nucleus of the cell that relates to blood cells Um, and again this kind of goes to morphic genesis where uh, there's this collective memory or a collective store of information that um this superorganism will rely on for emergence and, and for learning uh so and then um Steven goes on to say after that that the that there are the simple building blocks that create complex organisms um and that people want to create artificial emergence or bringing forward um I did take notes for this but sometimes my notes uh, I might have missed something Okay Okay, so then Stephen goes on to say that um, that the cells also use chemical messengers in the way of salts, sugars and amino acids uh, They are partially transmitted through cell junctions uh, and then molecules and molecules from one cell are given to another so that I guess that he was saying that the cells can share molecules with each other um, and then that and I feel like the and that cells use chemical messengers like salts sugars and amino acids and that, maybe that's the same thing as like ants using pheromones and slime mold cells using pheromones because um, this is how like those, pheromones and the chemical messengers are how um cells communicate with each other it's interesting that he brings up salts sugars and amino acids because I know um you know the, the food that we're being like the like the carbohydrates and stuff like that are really high in sugars and I mean I personally I've been looking to starting to cut down on the amount of carbohydrates I have and sugars, not eliminate them all the time, completely, but, like, and when I say carbohydrates, like, breads and stuff like that, um, because I wonder how that, uh, affects my body and affects how and my cells and stuff, and I do find that when I don't have as much, like, breads and pastas and stuff, I do end up having more energy, so I just wonder if that if there's a reason for that and like things like breads um especially like the high, the white bread and the white sugars and stuff like they're usually cheaper than the healthier stuff which is on purpose like there's not an accident that whole you know whole grain bread is more usually more expensive than the white bread and so you know if you are someone who is struggling from paycheck to paycheck. You know, you're going to buy the white bread, even though you know it's not good for you because you can afford it and you can eat it. Um, but then this also, it doesn't have as much nutrients in it. So then it affects our bodies and souls as well. And, and I think they know this, which is why, you know, in poor neighborhoods, you see a lot of food deserts and places where people can't get proper nutrition but then in the wealthier neighborhoods, you have like the you know the Whole Foods and the, the veggies and the fruits and stuff like that that help, um, in terms of you know keeping us healthy, keeping our souls healthy. I think it's easier to have a connection with source and God, if you will. I mean, it's not impossible if you're eating this stuff. I don't think God's gonna like, or the universe is gonna shut people out because they don't. I mean, the universe knows that they you know, these people in power do these things on purpose. So I I don't think, you know, the universe would ever stop having a connection with us just because, you know, we're not getting proper nutrients, but it does make it harder, um, to have that connection with the source. But, you know, source is powerful and far more, far stronger and far more loving, loving and, uh, intelligent than this artificial emergence. And so, where there's a will, there's always going to be a way to connect and those, that connections with us, with our souls throughout. I think that there's an effort to get us to forget that. And, um, so yeah, so I just wanted to say that cause like the salt sugars and amino acids being chemical messengers, it made me think about, it really didn't make me think, think about that. Okay. And then, uh, Steven continues uh, talking about emergence and developing babies. So he says that cells are able to develop into arms and you know other body parts and stuff like that, even without a bird's eye view of the whole uh, of the whole I guess the whole baby, uh, that cells also look to each other for cues as to what to continue developing. And this is important for self assembly in systems. So I think what he's trying to say is that, um, cells just kind of figure out how to build, um, you know, a baby's arms and legs and and heart and so on without understanding the whole, but how does he know that? I mean, you, if you were to have some random cells, like how is it that one group of cells knows to create a heart? And another group of cells knows how to create, um, you know, the right hand without accidentally making two right hands or making two hearts. I think that there is an overall, like, so-called master planner or intelligence, and maybe that is the morphic field or, you know, a creative intelligence like God or a source of universe, you know, goddess, whichever or you use whichever way you used to refer to this creator intelligence that you know just just knows and so then and then the cells know, okay, all right, so we're gonna create the heart, we're gonna create the the arms and so on. So yes, maybe they have you know, they probably do talk to each other, but again it's just like who initiates like who starts the conversation? Like how is how does one cell know to start? The conversation about oh the heart let's build the heart and then oh and then okay well you're building the heart I'm gonna build the leg like the the initial you know that first mover that first conversation you know he doesn't really talk about that and again I, I think that they're you know it's part of that collective con consci- that collective sorry the collective intelligence that nature has and the cosmos and the creator have developed, you know, ever since, you know, there's been life in the universe. And, you know, I just know, anno- it's just, I just find it annoying that they're, they're arrogance and they're, um, you know, just not appreciating just how amazing and wonderful this creative intelligence is. And they're trying to what they're trying to do is that you know these system engineers is that they're trying to put themselves between life and this creator being so that they become the creators right so they're trying to play at being god or the you know the creator universe they're trying to like be the conductor if you will and i heard that from uh Allison McDowell. i think she was talking about her friend uh deep d in one of the conversations and she was saying that they're you know these system engineers are trying to be the conductor and i would agree with that like they're trying to come in and place themselves between us and the creator i don't think it's going to work because again the creator is you know created everything so but they're going to try it and the, the the concern i have is just how much pain and devastation they're going to cause because they want to take life down this road and and again I don't think they have to go down we don't have to go down this path but it's just important to have and and one one of the ways we can choose something else is just by having these types of conversations and being aware of these you know of emergence and so on so that's I just wanted to say that too because um you know and there's also just a sacredness in life you know there's a sacredness to a developing baby just as there is a, sac- a sacredness to other developing new life you know and it just bothers me that they just want to pick it apart uh okay and then after talking up spending some time talking about uh cells and dna um steven then begins talking about cities and emergence and i think i did talk about you know cities and emergence a little while ago but he Uh, continues on because in part two he kind of goes more into deeper detail about what he was talking about in part one in part one he kind of summarized like all the uh the different areas of emergence like artificial intelligence like cities ant colonies um and uh like just how people learn you know software development and that sort of thing uh, and so he now he's talking about kind of going into cities a little deeper and so he talks about the game SimCity and Emergence and I did talk about SimCity in the one of my previous parts um, because in the, SimCity is really important because it's an example of building emergence so back in the 60s and 70s there were people and 80s and 90s of course but that's kind of when people really started studying emergence, and then in the '90s with the rollout of SimCity, it was an example of building artificial or emergent systems and selling them on the marketplace. Like it wasn't just a science application anymore; it was it was cultural. It was a video game that people could play. Uh, so. In SimCity, so SimCity, there it has. It's like a, it's. I don't know if you're familiar with it. It came out in the '90s, and it's a simulation game. Uh, so, and it it's more than it was more than just an educational tool. Uh, SimCity was also a, able to capture, like, bottom-up emergence, and so SimCity two thousand uh, was one of the first games that captured that bottom-up. Uh, emergence because people don't actually win in in the SimCity game. Uh, The players grow the city, but the cities themselves then evolve in unpredictable ways. So, uh, like, I've played this game before because back in the 90s, you know, I was in elementary school and they started rolling out uh, the computer labs. And I remember they had SimCity because I played that game and I I remember really liking it when I was a kid and, um, that was it. Like you had, you know, all these interactions between the populations and stuff like that. And, you know, that would create this, I guess, collective intelligence. Although, I mean, I didn't know this when I was like seven, but, um, and then these, and then it's the interactions in the game between the the city blocks and, the people living in there, uh, in those city blocks, that would create like this, these this higher level behavior within the city, um, and then, but then like he's like Steven says in the book, there isn't actually any winners in Sin City in the game Sin City, like there's always something about the city that's changing, and evolving, so the player has to like, kind of keep up with that. Right, so it's like when when one thing happens in one part of the game, it causes something else to happen. So when one level or one set of interactions causes this other set of behavior in a different game, so it's like or in a different part of the game. Um, and then he was also saying that longtime users, um, you know, while they don't win the game, they can learn how to push their virtual citizens in different ways. And this is really important for emergence because like i said like cybernetics um and complex adaptive systems which is they all kind of relate to each other um you know that's one of the underlying intentions behind them is to steer life and to steer people in certain directions that the system wants them to go so You know SimCity you had players that eventually caught on to the fact that you could push your virtual citizens in different ways and I feel like that's kind of what's happening right now is that you know there's you know token engineers and system engineers that have figured out how they can use artificial emergence to push people into a direction that benefits them like like cybernetics isn't going to benefit the average person. It's going to only benefit a few people, right? Like the higher level, like system engineers and the, the token engineers. Like they're the ones that will benefit the most from cybernetics. It's not like the, you know, your friends on the, or average person, working person or something. It's not, this isn't designed for them. So that steering and that, that pushing people on different pathways or in diff- in in certain directions or certain pathways i should say that's a really important characteristic of artificial emergence uh and it was in- built into the Sim City games and so uh will will Wright was the one who designed the Sim City designed the game as an emergent system um and it provides the illusion of generating a life form. So there's a mesh network of cells uh, hooked together and they respond to what neighbor cells are doing. So I, I guess what that means is that uh, like the neighborhoods and the people in the neighborhoods are connected in this mesh like network. And if you notice, like there's sensor networks and so on being placed in cities. So that's kind of like real cities, like the smart cities. And so it's kind of like SimCity is a simulation of the smart cities that are being built right now. And there are sensor networks that will be hooked into each other. And they will respond to what other neighborhood cities or other neighborhood clusters are doing. And that's kind of what happened in the game. Um, And then because each... Uh, cell influences the other cells, uh, changes appear to move in a fluid or ripple-like manner in the system. Uh, so that, I think that what that basically means is that, you know, when one um, cell or one cluster in the network it, like makes a decision, it will ripple out to the other clusters in the network. So what one neighborhood does in the city will ripple out to the other neighborhoods in his city. And with the smart cities, all the networks are, or sorry, all the cities and all the neighborhoods within the cities are going to be connected to each other. And that's already happening in Vancouver. In Vancouver, there's certain uh, neighborhoods that are like hubs and they're all networked together and they're all kind of built around mass transportation like a lot, like we have a sky train, and a lot of the um, sky train, like a lot of the the stops or the the major um, what do you call it uh, stations have like city centers built around them, so like shop like uh, shopping centers and 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 rental apartments and like condos and restaurants like they're all built around a a skytrain station uh, so if you so technically like people would be could be confined to that one area and then they would you know if if allowed by the system they would then be able to travel to another area in the city uh, i'll get to that in another show i think the how like the kind of geolocation and stuff like that is going to be used to track people's whereabouts and how um you know you may or depending on whether you're deemed a good citizen or if you're trustworthy or if you have the right credentials or badges like you may or may not be able to leave your hub you know right because if there's this sensor network and let's say you need to have a card or something to show that you're able to travel. And if it denies you that travel, well, then you're stuck. And that can happen. And, oh, a lot of, the, like, again, I know a lot of this sounds like science fiction or, you know, supernatural stuff. But it is it is actually happening. And I wish it was sci-fi, but it's not. Um Okay, so he could, Stephen continues talking about uh, SimCity when he says that each block in SimCity has a set of rules it needs to adhere to, and blocks uh, send signals to each other uh, and the instructions and and their instructions are dependent on the signals that they get from each other. Uh, So I guess the city blocks are kind of like the equivalent to the cells. So if you have, like the cells send signals to each other and I guess this would you know these signals would then uh, determine or trigger a set of instructions like whether to create more muscle cells or to create more blood cells and i guess in SimCity, the city blocks will signal each other and this will cause a set of cause them to follow a set of instructions or in, or a set of rules depending on these signals Uh, And then he also, so upon finishing talking about SimCity, Stephen then begins to talk about or brings up the the work of Paul Krugman, who's an economist. And Paul Krugman also studied uh, or studies emergence in cities. And he looked at how he looks at game theory and how game theory um, can be used to understand how cities kind of segregate themselves or how they create like pockets you know like um, how a city will naturally create a pocket of business of a like business neighborhoods or like a I guess maybe a Italian neighborhood or like a um, uh, what do you call it like a kind of like an upward mobility neighborhood like the yuppie neighborhood or something so he was kind of interested in how game theory can explain segregation in cities Um, so Krugman created a city with only businesses and where the businesses locate themselves based on other nearby businesses Um, and what's interesting is that Krugman talks about um, a centripetal force which brings the businesses together and a centrifugal force which pushes them away and he, he says that there needs to be, or Krugman, Krugman, Krugman model relied on those two primary, like, axioms of the centripetal and centrifugal force, and how that there needs to be tension between them, so neither uh, too strong or too, too weak, uh, and then the, the range of the centripetal force needs to be shorter than the centrifugal force, uh, so businesses have other businesses nearby, but dislike having them a little ways away, and then having businesses in the same location is good, be it because it attracts more customers, but the opposite is true with rival hubs nearby. So, you know, you have one hub of a bit like where businesses cluster together, and I guess it's a good thing because it creates more or it creates more traffic and it creates more, um, you know, more people are going there to buy things, but then if a rival hub is too close to the, or if they're too close to each other, then it's bad because you're not going to have, or it's bad for the businesses. It's good for the customers because then they have more selection, but it's bad for the businesses because they won't have as much profit. Um, So Krugman used his model to show that even when businesses are randomly scattered across the land, uh, they will eventually cluster into distinct business centers, evenly spaced from each other. And so he thinks that that's an example of how localized behavior creates higher-level macro behavior. And his model uh, might also explain the formation of neighborhoods in large metropolitan areas. And the neighborhoods create a polycentric structures within the city's larger shape. Uh, and then he, Stephen, at, once Stephen finishes talking about Paul Krugman, he also talks about Jane Jacobs, who is another person that studied uh, cities and emerges. And according to Jane Jacobs, the value of exchange between strangers in a city is not what it does for individuals, but what it does for the superorganism that is the city Uh, Jane Jacobs thinks that sidewalks are there to create complex order uh, not for the well-being of individuals so I know that people you know within the smart city narrative like there's always talks about walkable cities and I don't think that's a bad thing I think being able to walk around in your city is nice but you know now that I think about emergence like it's not maybe those walkable cities aren't necessarily for people's Health and well-being, but for studying emergence, Um, because the sidewalks enable local interaction that leads to a global order within the city. You know, and if they have the the Internet of Things, like these sensors, overlaid on top of a smart city, then they'll be able to capture the data from those interactions on the sidewalk and use that to find patterns. And patterns is really important. Like they really want to find these patterns for predicting emergent behavior and they can only get that by observing thousands of interactions between people Um, and that's also one reason why those who study emergence dislike cars uh, because they limit those interactions among individuals that create the global order which kind of makes sense because I I do notice that there is a real hate for cars so because they are obsessed with like the the 15 minute city and there has been, you know, in there, at least in Vancouver, they, they do have a transportation plan. And while I haven't read through all of it, I did notice the, the little graphic they made for it. And there's vi- very little cars, there's drones, there's drones in the picture and there's like the sky train and sensors, but there's very little individual cars and they, they do want more and more people taking transit and, and walking and stuff. And it's interesting because on the SkyTrain, they have cameras and Wi-Fi all over the place. Same with the buses, but mostly on the SkyTrain. And part of it is not so much for safety. I think part of it is to collect data on the interactions and, and study how uh, people interact with each other on the Sky trains and on mass transit. I mean, in other cities, it might be the subway but we have a skytrain, um, and then Stephen argues that cities diminish the health of a city because the interaction between agents is so poor. I would say that cars diminish the health of a city because you know, you <coughs> they they can be lots of accidents and stuff. But the problem is, is that you know we built our cities and our whole. Infrastructure is built around cars and around people being able to travel and get to work and stuff like that. Like, I don't understand how they're going to push everybody or how it's going to work by pushing everyone to use transit when a lot of people need to go use a car to get to work. You know, like, it, I mean, I know it's all part of like getting, of studying people and getting them out of private spaces, which I consider a car a private space, but, um, you know, it's, it's a bit extreme. Uh, And then Steven argues that diversity in a city won't be helpful uh, for changing people's behavior if they aren't interacting with each other. I mean, and to be honest, you're not really interacting with each other on the road when you're driving. Yes, you mean you are, but you're not. Like, the interaction between drivers on the road is very different from the interaction of, um, you know, people walking by on a sidewalk. Um, but even then, like I find in, you know, when you're walking past someone on the sidewalk, you're not really doing anything. There's not really an interaction there, but I don't know how they're going to force people to interact with each other on sidewalks. But anyway, so they don't, that's one of the reasons why they don't like cars is because it limits the interaction with people and therefore they can't really study uh, emergent behavior if people are driving vehicles like personal vehicles um, and then in order for artificial emergence to work the feedback a feedback loop is really important for the system to become adaptive so he mentioned that because uh, feedback is how a system learns like it's how a city, or how, how artificial emergence learns and adapts is through feedback. And I'm going to get more into that because there is a chapter in the book that's specifically uh, dedicated to feedback, and I'm going to be doing a show on that. Um, but that is also another really important fe- feature of because it takes feedback is the difference between a complex system and a complex adaptive system. And it's the complex adaptive system that they want to build because they want to be able to learn and to evolve a system. And so they need to have feedback in order to do that. You can't, they, you know, they can't create artificial emergence without that feedback and without the ability to to learn and adapt. And then um, just to finish off with the cities and emergence um, it was it, I found it also interesting when he was talking about the interaction between like the difference between people interacting on sidewalks and then cars uh, so he Steven talks about how as speed can change how little or how much transmission um, of information happens between or happens when eight like agents or individuals in the system are interacting with each other. So a slower speed will give more interaction and more information, which is needed for, uh, the collective intelligence. But if you have, you know, people walking, interacting with each other on a sidewalk, which is a slow interaction next to a car, like a car is moving way too fast for any sort of information or any sort of interaction to happen, unless it's in a pedestrian sidewalk. Then there's an interaction when, especially when the driver is not paying or the pedestrian's not paying attention. Then that's you know, you could probably hear some swearing. Um, but the the cars they move too fast for transmission between agents, like between individuals. So you know, it's really hard to get those interactions for collective intelligence, which is another reason why, um, you know, the system engineers prefer walkable cities because it's easier to collect the data from the the interactions between individuals because they're moving slower. Like the camera can pick it up or the sensor can pick it up. But a car moving at 50 miles per hour or 30 miles per hour, you know, that's really hard. It's really hard to capture that Uh, information. And then when agents work at different or individuals work at different transmission speeds, uh, this jams emergence. So I guess, I don't know, I guess maybe to maybe one way to avoid emergence is to, uh, you know, drive a car (laughs) or maybe it's to to run, run through the sidewalks, don't interact with anyone, just sprint from one end to the other, you know, go faster or something. I don't know. Um, I mean, while that's comical, it might not be all that possible. You can get one of those annoying, uh, unicycles, those electric unicycles. I've seen them before. They're so silly, but they, you know, these guys that are zooming down on these unicycles, these electric unicycles, like they're, it's a different interaction. That's for sure. You know, not walking and they're not riding a bike. They're moving. I mean, again, they can move at 30 Sometimes 50 miles per hour through a city street, um, but they're not really a car and they're not really a cyclist. But you know they're moving at a different transmission speed, so maybe, maybe there's a way to avoid emergence with those things. I don't know. <laughs> um, then Stephen does talk about free will, um, and the parallels uh, kind of between ant colonies and human cities. And he says that individual ants, uh, if, or he says that if individual ants started thinking for themselves, uh, it would be a disaster for the, co- the colony and that, uh, we need to think of free will only in terms of like individual interactions that go towards global intelligence. And, um, so maybe that's another way to avoid emergence is when we start thinking for ourselves, and, you know, there is, um, a talk by John Trudell, like his work is really the late John Trudell. He's, uh, he was a American Indian activist and he, or indigenous, sorry, he was indigenous and he's involved with the American Indian movement. And he was, um, you know, he passed away a little while ago, but he often talks about, um, belief versus thinking and like the intelligence that we get from our creator, and that with belief, it shuts off our thinking because when we believe something, it's kind of it. That's that's kind of it. We don't have to think about it anymore. So belief can be dangerous. Uh, but when we're thinking about something, it changes because then we're actively using our collective intelligence that we got from the creator to think about what's going on, and 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 i think that's really important like if as we start to think about the system that we're in like get you know get past the personalities get past like because you know influencers and social like whether you're in the resistance movement or not like they're just influencers and they're usually um either put there by the system or the system just takes advantage of them in some way like you know not all influencers are aware of this either the influencers are kind of working on behalf of the system and so they're not really <clears throat> they don't really their role is to steer people whether they're aware of it or not like they're not really there to think about or they're, they're not the system Like the elites and billionaires and and influencers and stuff like yes they're not they are a problem I'm not trying to say that like they're you know but they're they're not the system they can be replaced by the system whenever they want like remember back in like the middle ages like the elite were like the pope and stuff and you know the pope still has some influence but You know the church doesn't have nearly as much influence as uh, as corporations do at this time they did in the Middle Ages but now it's corporations and the corporation and that is undergoing like I said earlier in the show a phase transition towards the cybernetic uh, system so and again these agents the social media influencers and business elites and stuff They could be pushed aside and replaced by another group of elites or business people, depending on if that serves the interest of the system or not. So it's really important to start thinking about the system that we're in, you know, the system of domination that has been around for a couple thousand years. And, um, because then if we, because like he said, like Steven says, like the, thinking people are a disaster for the call the colony or, or the system i should say so if we begin to think for ourselves like that's a huge step towards understanding what's going on and figuring out a way and how we can choose something else because we like i said we don't have to go down this road we could figure out something else like we're people are pretty smart we can figure it out um and and life on earth doesn't have to go on this route either because it's not just like they're not just studying emergence among human beings they're studying emergence like I said I mean ants and slime mold cells but they're also doing it with plants trees water oceans our sky birds like nothing is sacred to these this system like nothing it'll it'll put everything on the blockchain and tokenize everything and I will get to token economics um, there's one other book I want to talk about. I want to finish Mary, or uh, Madeline Ingall's book, um, her Time Quartet. Uh, I think I, I'm on. I'm gonna be getting the fifth book, and I want to finish that. But then once I'm done with um, Madeline Ingall's work, I'm gonna focus on talking about token econom economics and the history of token economics because it does come out of. Uh, sanat- research that was done in sanitar- sanatoriums and um, behavior research that was done by um, people like B.F. Skinner. So that's kind of the direction I'm going to be going with the show for the next little while once I finish the book Emergence and once I finish uh, Madeline Ingle's book. Because it would be I, I do want to have a nice little break and just have like something that's like a, more of a story on my show and then I'll get to more like technical stuff again after that because it I kind of like having a mix of both it's like a a story that relates to what's going on and then uh, and then diving into an important topic like token economics or um, like emergence like this like this book I'm reading right now Okay. So I think I'm gonna leave it there. There isn't much left. I'm, I finished this chapter. Uh, the, the chapter was um, kind of the, it's called The Street Level, uh, and it was the first chapter in part two. So next show, I'm gonna talk about the next chapter, which is the pattern. It's more, it's about patterns and pattern recognition and emergence, which is really important. And I kind of talked about it briefly in, in today's show because what they're doing is they want to take the data and the information from all the interactions that they get uh from us and from other beings and find patterns and these patterns will then inform them about the macro behaviors that are important for a global consciousness so they're really interested in finding patterns and i think um you know along with token economics i also want to explore the subject of topology and and knots because I did talk about knots not on the podcast but I did elsewhere and I think these things are related to each other so I'm going to be exploring those subjects a bit more but for now I've been you know I think this is good to end here and because I think I I talked enough about like cities and emergence and and I think there's in the next chapter he does continue on with talking about cities and emergence um, but from a pattern but from talking about like patterns and stuff so I'm gonna like I said I'm gonna pick up next show and that's where I'm gonna be picking up is that is that chapter and I would like to wrap up that chapter in one show and then there's only a few more chapters left and there's one on uh, feedback which I think is really important uh, and then uh, the current chapter I'm reading is on it's called Control Artists and you know it's basically like who sets the rules in the artificial emergence and that's also really important to understand because like i said there are people that are going to be setting the rules in this artificial emergence it's not going to be a bottom-up system like what they're talking about it's going to be there will be a central control and then it'll be like distributed to like smaller communities or smaller hubs but there will be a central brain essential like in madeline ingall's book the wrinkle in time there will be an it or an it which was essential it was a the antagonist in the first book which was a brain like a centralized brain that made decisions for everyone on this planet so You know, that's kind of what they're hoping to achieve is this central world intelligence so that that those control artists are that control artists and who sets the rules is really important to kind of think about and bear in mind. And with that being said, thank you, everybody, for stopping by the cafe. I hope you uh, learned something today. I hope you took something away. I really would encourage you to start reading books on emergence, start reading books on, uh, token economics. I'll link to Alison McDowell's, uh, her, uh, Wrench and Aguirre's blog, because Allison has done an amazing amount of work on, uh, on, uh, human capital manage- management. And I'm also going to link to a few other areas as well. There's, uh, Silicon Icarus, and that's, um, I think it, his name is Raul and, and Leo. They're two, uh, two guys that have been doing um, a lot of research into blockchain. And then Leo's been doing research into the uh, natural capital. So how um, you know, com- these companies are putting the natural world onto blockchain and turning it into digital assets. And uh, so I'll link to that because it's also really important because it's not just uh, human beings, but it's the whole sort of system that they're looking to uh, put onto Web3. And then as well as uh, Jason, uh, Jason Bosch, um, he's another person who's been doing a tremendous amount of research into... Um, you know this this system, and he often does presentations with Allison McDowell. So I will link to those because I think they're they're helpful uh, learning um, resources, and they're helpful for understanding like doing more research. Because an hour long show, like I wasn't able to cover everything in that chapter, so you know it's not enough. Like this is like this kind of does require learning doing some individual study and learning on our own. So I hope that you know this will pique your curiosity and you'll check out those blogs and enjoy some coffee and hot beverage beverages and have a blessed week and a heartfelt week and we'll see you back at the cafe next week. All right, take care. Bye-bye.